Church for Generations, and I welcome you this morning. Last week, we had an incredible word on the youth and how to reach a youth culture, and this morning, we are going to hop to the very opposite end of that spectrum, and we're talking about the Caleb generation. Now, can you imagine who this is for? What age are we talking about? <laughs> Pastor Peters? No, well, a little bit further than that. We're talking about my generation. Um, I'm on the, the tail end, the trailing edge of what they called the baby boomer generation. I never identified with that because I thought I was too young for that. But then when I looked at the statistics, I saw that I was indeed part of the baby boom generation. So here you go. Does anybody else want to raise their hand if you are part of that generation born between 46 and 64? 19, of course that is. All right. And if you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay. Um, I understand. The baby boomer generation has done um, some incredible things for our nation. Many of them are wonderful. We uh, brought, saw the eradication of polio. Uh, many, many things, uh, many things not so wonderful. And we'll take ownership of all of it. But one of the things that I've noticed, and I want to tie this into our theme, which is a church for generations, is that we have totally revolutionized the way that our nation looks at aging and growing older. And um, up, into, up until recent years, youth have always looked to the older generation for guidance, and they still do. But it's only been recently since the baby boomer generation came of age that the adults are looking to the youth and trying to stay forever 21. Forever youthful. The ladies will know what that is. A store that I don't go into, but I know some of you do, who are not 21 or 31 or anyway. So we have changed the way a nation looks at aging. And I think that's a good thing in so many respects. And I believe that it's important to stay as healthy as possible. I believe it's important to, to live as long as God has placed us on this earth to serve his purpose. I believe that. I believe that it's important to stay strong so that we can help the younger generations. But one of the things that I've noticed with this particular thing that my generation has done is it's like we have sown a seed into the successive generations because of our eternal quest to stay young to stay young looking, to stay vibrant, to stay relevant, all of those 21st century words. One of the things that I've noticed is we have sown seeds into the succeeding generations to dislike growing older, to even fear, be fearful of aging. And I'd like to present a counterpoint to that this morning. I'd like to take that burden off specifically this congregation, because we are a church that ministers and fellowships with all generations. So let me give you an example of how baby boomers, the Caleb generation, has impacted aging, has impacted the look of aging. Now, this picture, who remembers I Love Lucy? We're all watching reruns of it, and it's just tremendously funny. William Frawley was the actor in this show, and this was about 60 years ago. 
And if you can take a guess how old you think he was, really in this, I don't know how, how old he portrayed. I think he portrayed an, portrayed an older man in the series. But he was actually, does anybody know how old he actually was during that series? He was 64. He was, <laughs> we're not there yet, almost. Giving away our secrets. He was 64. That's what 64 looked like. Now, granted, he wasn't a, a particularly handsome man to begin with, so you got to have the raw materials. But, however, the baby boom generation has changed the face of what aging looks like, what 64 looks like. And we honestly, Pastor Mark and I were scrolling over images last night trying to find people in their 50s and 60s, and it's a, it's a quagmire out there, people. But we just found the first picture we came to because we were tired of looking. This is the first 64-year-old man. This is what the baby boomers have brought this is now 64. So quite a difference between. <laughs> so you can thank my generation anytime you want to because this is what aging and growing older looks like. And then we found a picture. We didn't spend a lot of time looking for women. We can, we can all find those all over the TV. So this is um, Michelle Pfeiffer. She's, you know, pretty, um, pretty cool. And she, I think, is like 58 or something in this picture. So this is, the, this is what the baby boomers have brought to the table as far as growing older. So I want to talk a little bit about that. But I've been thinking about the attributes. What is it about my generation that is obsessed with youthfulness? And I say this from a place of having spent, my husband is sitting here, so I won't get into any specifics. Ladies, you will understand. I have spent enough on my hair color, trying to find my natural original color, trying to keep it some semblance of that original color. I, we could have possibly bought a rental home with that money. <laughs> but we won't go there because that's not important right now. What's important <laughs> is that I feel pretty, right? But I've been thinking about what is it that makes us so obsessed with youthfulness. And I've come up with three characteristics that we associate with youthfulness, but which I'm going to prove masterfully by the end of this next 20 minutes that these characteristics are not limited to youth. They're found in having a deep, abiding relationship with the eternal source of life no matter what age we are. So those characteristics, I don't have them up there yet. I've found that we love youth because youth hold promise. There's something about youthfulness that there's, there's optimism. Everything is possible. Anything is possible when you're talking to the youth. And we lose that as we grow older. We don't have to. The next thing I found that's the characteristics of youthfulness that I found my generation is drawn to is a sense of purpose. Youth are filled with, we can do it. We can change this. We can make a difference in our generation. We lose that as we get older, and yet we don't have to. And the last thing is passion. We are drawn to youth because of their passion. Their intense feelings about everything specifically love, but about everything. They're passionate about things, and we lose that as we get older, yet we don't have to if we are abiding in the source of passion. 
All right. So growing older is an opportunity. Can you say that? Growing older is an opportunity. It's not a disease. It's not a disease. It's an opportunity to see God's purpose fulfilled in our life. So let's use a story. I'm going to pull this really fast before we get started. We talked last week, that the uh, Pastor's Mountain talked last week about the youth culture. She never used the term millennials, but I will use it. And she, they talked about how the number one thing for youth is to, their identity. And we see that when we, we see the problems that young men and young women are having, finding their gender and relating to their gender and all these different problems and issues that are associated with our identities. And so while the youth are, are, are trying to find a way forward with their identity, my generation, we're still searching for purpose. We're still raging against the man. We still want to make something change. So let's talk about how we do that this morning. I picked a perfect example. Some of you can tell by the title who I've picked. This man is an incredible example of what we should be like as we grow older. We're going to spend a little time reading scriptures this morning because we don't want to just pick one little verse and pick it apart. We want to take full counsel of God's word. The first selection we're going to read from is from Numbers, and that was written by the prophet Moses. He wrote the book of Numbers. This was their report to Moses. Now, if you remember the story, Moses, they, they had left Egypt, that powerhouse. They had left Egypt. God miraculously delivered them. They have gone, and they have reached the edge of where God said, I'm going to give you this land. And so um, Moses said, I'm going to send out 12 of you. I'm going to pick one from each tribe, and I want to send you into the land, and I want you to tell me what you see there, because this is the land that God has promised us. So I want you to tell me what you see. What does the land look like? What do the people look like? What's the topography? What's the weather like? Just come back and give us a report. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. I think this last phrase is interesting. And that's what they thought too. Now, I don't know how they would profess to know what those people were thinking, but they had decided that these people also knew, you know, they're, they're just like ants to us. They're going to be no problem to conquer, uh, to conquer them. That's what they thought too. So now let's switch over to the report that was, that was written by Joshua, who was actually one of the spies. He's referring to Caleb again in this story. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. And that, that, that word there, honest report, is referring to 
it means according to my conviction. I told what I saw, not necessarily what my eyes actually saw, but I told what I saw according to my conviction, according to the belief that was in my heart about what I saw. But my brothers who went with me were frightened the people fr and frightened the people from entering the promised land. How sad. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God so that the day Moses solemnly promised me on that day, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land, that of your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord your God. That's a tremendous, tremendous story. Tremendous account of what happened. So the first thing is we look back, we think about growing older, and we think about what is appealing to us about the younger generation, how we can connect with them. The first is the promise. Caleb held fast to that promise. We're going to find out what that cost him and how long it took, but he held fast to the promise. God had said, I will give you the land of Canaan, and it is a beautiful land, and that land is going to be yours. Caleb had that promise. And all of us in this room that are believers have been given promises from God. The Bible is filled with words and truth and life from God that is ours for claiming and believing and standing upon and holding fast to. Now, Caleb didn't know any more about God than all the other Israelites knew. He only knew what Moses told him. Moses got the Ten Commandments. He instructed the Israelites. So he didn't have any inside track on information. He knew what everybody else knew. But there was something about Caleb and his belief, his holding fast to the promise that God gave. Now, God gave that promise to the whole nation, but only Caleb and Joshua actually believed it. Let me give you a promise that God has given to each one of us who are called believers. Now, this is a very familiar scripture, but we're going to use it this morning because of our topic. It shall come to pass, Northwest, in the last days, that I will pour out of my spirit. This is the King James, New King James. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Of course, this is also referring to women as well. And I was thinking, why, Lord, why do the young see visions? And I was thinking about that relating to what we've been talking about. For young people, they have dreams. They, for the most part, unless you come from a, a home where, where everything has been squashed and it's dysfunctional and it's abusive, for the most part, people, young people have dreams. They want to go to college. They know what they want to be when they grow up. They know what they want their life to look like. They have dreams, but what they need is vision. What they need is a plan. What they need is a purpose in God. They need a vision to go with that. But old people, it says your old men shall dream dreams. And so many times we get in our 40s and 50s, 60s. Oh, I've been there. I've done that. I tried that. I already went there. And we need to learn to dream 
again. But this is a promise from God to every believer today. He's going to pour out of his spirit on you, on your family, on your children. And they are going to dream, and they are going to prophesy, and they are going to see visions. This is a promise that you can claim. Amen? Caleb brought back a report that said, we can do it. But there were giants there, weren't there? Did he see the giants? Did he know there were really problems with taking that land, that they were going to have to fight hard for that land? Of course. And you're going to get a promise from God, or you're going to ask, God, I need another promise from you. I need, I, I, I don't have any vision. I need a promise. I need to see something that's from your hand for my life, for my family today. I need to know that you care about me. I need to know that you see me. I need to know that you see my finances. I need to know that you see the problem my children are having. I need to know that you see the relationship between my husband and, and myself. I need to know that you see God. I need a promise from you. And when he gives it to you, because he will, you need to hold fast. Because problems will come up. Giants will pop up even after you receive your promise. Last week they mentioned that we are living in a time between redemption and restoration. Do you remember that? And I think that's true of Caleb too. They had been redeemed from the land of Egypt and they were headed to the promise that God had given them. But they weren't there yet, were they? And some of them never got there for one reason and we'll talk about that. The lure to stay forever young and not grow up and be in the season that God has called you to be is that there's a promise associated behind us. But God is saying he has a promise for you right now. He knows how old you are. He knows the state of your finances. He knows where you live. And he said, I have a promise for you. I have a purpose and a plan for you. So the next thing that, that we see from Caleb's life is there was purpose. He held fast to his purpose. It's really easy to believe once your children are grown or they're in college, start having grandchildren, that your purpose is finished. Uh, yeah, I ha I, we did, my job's done. I raised my kids. Check that box. Went to church with them. Check that box. Don't really have a, an overriding purpose anymore. You know, I just want to enjoy my life. We don't use the word retirement around Northwest. I mean, it's just not a word that you see in the Bible. So we talk about that. But there's something that happened. Numbers, let's read it. They will never, ever see the land. Now, when, when Caleb and Joshua brought back that report, remember there were 12. So there were two that said, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. And there were ten that said, we can't do it, we can't do it, we're scared, we're going to get killed. And they began to say, let's just go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Now, now think about that for just a moment. Let's return to the place where our children were murdered. Let's return to the place where they beat us. Let's return to the place where they starved us because we don't think that God is able to fulfill the promise 
that he gave us. Let's just return. Let's just go back. Now, can you imagine for a moment what the new Pharaoh would have done had he seen those millions of Jews coming back with their tail tucked between their legs after God had miraculously delivered them and marched them on? Can you imagine what would have happened? And yet this was their desired, that was what they wanted to happen. And so they went to their go-to move, let's stone them. Let's stone Caleb. Let's stone Joshua because we don't want to hear that God will still deliver his promise. We didn't know there would be giants there. We didn't know there would be an obstacle. We didn't know we would have to fight for it. We just thought we would march on into it and take it. So God... Moses, of course, intercedes. Please read the story. It is fascinating to watch Moses and God talking together. It is just, it, it is a thing of beauty. So Moses intercedes in that powerful place of prayer. When some of you think, I don't know what I can do. I'm homebound. You know, I'm taking care of my elderly parents. I'm taking care of my grandkids, which is the, the season that boomers are in. They've got elderly parents, and they have grandkids. So we're kind of sandwiched in between all this activity. I can't go anywhere. You can have the powerful place of intercession for the people around you, for the situations around you, and that's what Moses did. So he interceded and stayed God's hand. So God said, they will, but... They will never even see. This is so incredibly sobering. They will never even see the land I swore to give them. God took an oath by himself, on himself, and said, I promise you, this is yours. They're like, no, don't think you can do it. Don't think you can do it. Don't think I can believe that you can do it. So Moses interceded, and God stayed his original purpose and said, okay, they're not even going to see the land that I said they could have. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. Do you want your children to possess their full share? Do you want your grandchildren to possess their full share? The answer is right there. Remain loyal to the living God. Remain loyal and believe that he can do what he has promised you. He can do. There's not a secret. There's truth. Remain loyal and believe. Now, the book of Numbers is called Numbers because they took, God said, take a census. What I'd like you to do is I want you to count every man. And, and men, of course, represented the entire family. So you counted the heads of households rather than the wife and, and, the, and the children or Wives and children, but anyway. So he said, I want you to count all the men that are 20 years and older. Because 20 years represented when they were old enough to go to war and to fight. So he said, I want you to count them all. 
And if they're 40 years, anyone over the age of 20, excuse me, they're never going to see the promise that I gave. So I don't know if any of you remember the number, but it was over half a million men. The number was 603,550 men died wandering. They never reached the purpose that God had for them because they didn't believe the promise God had for them. So for 40 years, Caleb and Joshua wandered with them. And you know what started to happen? They started to be really comfortable wandering because, because God provided for them. God didn't turn his back on them. He didn't let them have the promise. He didn't let them inherit the promise, but he still gave them provision. And we get so comfortable with provision, God providing for our needs, God providing for what we have, what we need, that we forget that God has given us a promise. He has so much more for you. He has so much more for you than just provision, than just enough, just getting by. They never made it to the promise. They never made it to their purpose. They wandered until every last one of the people that said, God's not able, God can't do it, died except for Joshua and Caleb. So when they got back to the place that was the marker for the promised land, Caleb was the oldest man in the nation. The entire nation, hundreds of thousands of people, Caleb was the oldest. He didn't waver. He didn't waver. And the lure for us in my generation to try to retain our youthfulness forever and ever is because we don't think there's a purpose for us now. There is a purpose. There's a purpose in God if you find your promise. Passion. Caleb held fast to his passion. I love, love, love this next part. Caleb had to stay in shape. Is anybody here that raised their hand? know that it is just a little bit harder, just a little bit harder to stay in shape once you reach, not impossible, it's just a little bit hard, just a little bit harder. When you're, thank you sisters, honest, an honest person back there, I mean we all, we all will all raise our hands. It's because we're, it's not impossible, it is a doable thing, it's just, but Caleb, man, he stayed feisty, he stayed in shape, he was ready for 40 years. He's wandering with the people that caused him to miss the promise the first time, but not, in, of course, in God. God was never going to leave Caleb behind. But for 40 years, he's wandering, staying in shape, keeping his spirit alive. You don't you know that he and Joshua had some conversations during those 40 years over coffee, but Caleb had a different spirit, so he believed, and he believed, and he believed. So here we go. Now, behold, this is Caleb giving his 
acceptance speech, acceptance speech for the promise. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. It's interesting, it doesn't say while we wandered, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, how old? And yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so is my strength now for war. Mm, he, was fight, he was ready to fight. I personally love this. I just love it. Both for going out, for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. Give it to me. I want the hardest piece of land. That is mine. It wasn't a hill. It was a mountain. He's like, I'm just as strong. I'm just as feisty. These young bucks, they don't know how to fight. They don't know how to fight. We're going to have to go. We're going to have to fight. We're gonna, we still, were the giant, did the giants go anywhere in 40 years? Had they, had they suddenly disappeared? Or were there now 40 more years worth of giants in the land? So Caleb is saying, you know what? I, I'm just as feisty then. I'm ready for war just like I was 40 years ago. I want that mountain. That mountain seems to be the hardest, but it's the one that I want. So I don't care if there are giants there because that's the promise that God gave me 40 years ago. He said, on this tract of land will be yours and your descendants. So Caleb's like, now give it to me. It's mine. And I'm just as strong now because I have to train and I have to teach. They have to instruct. I have to be in the front of the battle. I have to be in the rear of the battle. But I'm just as strong now. I love, 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 love it. Caleb's response was, after 40 years of other people's disobedience, his response was, I still believe. I still believe. I still believe the promise. I still believe it's for me. I still believe it's for my family. I still believe it's my inheritance. I still believe. And some of you, God has told you, whispered to you, a promise. And the years have come. And the years have gone. And you haven't seen your children walking with God yet. You haven't seen your finances turn around yet. You haven't seen the thing that you know. You believe God promised you. I want to encourage you this morning to still believe. Caleb's like, I still believe. And I believe so much that I've kept in shape. I've kept strong. My spirit is strong and my body is strong. Now give me what you promised me, God, because I want to receive it. I still believe. I still believe. Amen. Amen. This is not a time to retreat, baby boomers, Caleb generation. This isn't a time to retreat. The youth need us. They need our experience. They need Mr. Strombeck Sr., our years and decades of walking with God and seeing the faithfulness of God shining in the middle of a dark sky at night. They need your testimony. They need your wisdom. They need your valor. They need your experience. They need to know that you say, I still believe. I still believe. I still trust. He is still able. I haven't seen it yet. It's been 40 years. 
And I know my son will bow his knee before the cross. I know my daughter. I know my grandchild. I still believe. The lure for my generation to try to stay eternally young is because of passion. We think that everything's dried up. There's no more passion. There's no more intensity. But if you stay connected with the source of passion, you will remain, as the Bible says, green and alive and effective. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to let you end on time. I'm going to have you stand in for just a minute. So the question this morning is, are you one of the two? Or are you one of the ten? You might go, well, it depends on what day it is. It depends on what the topic is, what is going on in my family at the time. It just depends. But Caleb, it didn't depend. It depended on God's faithfulness, and he believed it. So are you one? Of the two, God said he has a different spirit. She has a different spirit. She believes that promises for her. She believes it's for her. She still believes. Because life happens. Delay comes. But the Bible says God will work out everything for our good. All things work together. All things. The Bible also says that all things are God's servant. He will make that horrific situation serve you if you'll believe him. If you will trust him. If you'll be found standing in the faith. Be found standing. And believing, allowing God to renew your strength, renew your passion, renew your purpose. I still believe. I believe this church has not even begun to see the purpose God has for it, for us. I believe that all these, these two decades have been preparation, preparing a foundation. Preparing our hearts to believe for the promises that he wants to deposit in our spirit. 